Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Hosea, chapter 5. We finished the fourth chapter in our last lesson. Hosea, the fifth chapter. The first seven verses are a message of rebuke. Verses 1 through 7. And then verses 8 through 15 is the judgment announced. And by the way, this carries us over to chapter 6, verse 3, which would be the future return and the blessings. So there's three verses that uh, we'll, we might get to include in this fifth chapter. But, and I'll give you the reason for it in a little bit. So let's look at the first uh, part of chapter 5 of Hosea, if you will, please. It says, Hear ye this, O priests, and hearken ye house of Israel, and give ear, O house of the king. For judgment is toward you, because ye have been a snare on Mizpah, and a net spread upon Tabor. Now, this is a message of, the, of rebuke to the priest, to the house of Israel, and to the king, because all three were in positions of authority and responsibility. And we find that it's a message of judgment. And the judgment that was in store for them is because they had uh, the places of hallowed memories corrupted them. They had turned them into idolatrous worships. And this had become a snare. They had apostatized away from the Lord. And the Lord knew about it and saw it all. If you read on down, we'll get that in some of our uh, thoughts as we read the verses. Uh, we'll take this and take time to study this uh, in a little more detail. You look in Genesis chapter 31, verse 49. Genesis 31, verse 49. It tells us this about Mizpah. And Mizpah, for he said, The Lord watched between me and thee, when we are absent from one from another, this was Laban and Jacob had made a covenant and an agreement between themselves. And uh, so it is actually a beacon or a watchtower. Mispus stood for a beacon or a watchtower. And these places that were hallowed, you have that Genesis uh, 31, verse 49. Well, verse 48 says, And Laban said, This heap is a witness between me and thee this day. Therefore, the name of it is called Gilead and Mizpah, for he said. So both of these places are uh, spoken of. And then back in our text in Hosea chapter 5, if you'll notice, it says, And a net is net spread upon Tabar, the last part of verse 1. So the judgment was because of the fact that the places that were supposed to be holy and had hallowed memories and stood for a great deal as far as Israel and the priests and the people were concerned, had a good background. They had been turned into places of idolatrous worship, and thus they had become a snare, and therefore God says there's going to be judgment. For judgment is toward you because, look at verse 1, because ye have uh, been a snare on Mizpah and a net spread upon Tabor. <clears throat> You read verse 2, And the revolters are profound to make slaughter, though I have been a rebuker of them all. God rebuked them for their sins, but those that revolted against God are profound to make slaughter. Look at Psalm 89, verse 12, and we'll find a little bit more about Tabor. Psalm 89 and verse 12. Notice what it says here. The north and the south thou hast created them. Tabor and Hermon shall rejoice in thy name. Instead of, a of places of rejoicing in, the, in God's name, as we said, they had been corrupted. 
You know, it's bad enough to take idolatrous places and have idolatrous worship. But it's far worse to take holy places and turn them into idolatrous worship. And sometimes that's what uh, people do. The things that are most sacred, they've perverted. We have that in all things, a lot of things in Christianity today. Sacred things have been perverted. They were in the days of Jesus. Remember, he says, you've made uh, my father's house to to be a house of prayer, a den of thieves. And he took his cat of nine tails and his his whip and scourge. He turned over the tables of the money changers. Those that bought and sold doves. And doves were for the poorest of the people. They were not supposed to have to come in and pay tremendous prices for that sacrifice which was provided for the poor. And Jesus drove them out of the temple. And you know, there are a lot of things. We could start talking about things in churches today that have become places where people are robbed of the the blessings due to some so-called financial gain for the benefit of the church. And you know, in some churches, that's the way it is. It's money, money, money. And I don't believe that that's the way God intended it to be. And His church will be supplied by the tithes and offerings of the people. And uh, when we get away from God's plan, we're asking for trouble. But as long as we're within God's plan, we can count on it that God will bless it. And I never have wondered about, worried about that. By the way, today we were privileged to loan some of our chairs to uh, uh, William over there at Capitan. He's uh, going to have it. He got a building, a place to to uh, to meet now, and uh, he borrowed 25 of our chairs. And so, anyway, we're glad to be able to do that. That's what we had to do when we started. Borrow chairs. I thought, well, what comes around goes around, doesn't it? But anyway, he's doing okay. He's got a few that he led to the Lord, and they're going to have a situation over there uh, Sunday that uh, they'll be proud of, kind of get, try to get organized. But what we're saying is the holy things of God need to be kept holy, and you don't need to corrupt them with, uh, your own, with their own doings. And that's what Israel was doing. And it says in verse 3, Now, I know Ephraim and Israel is not hid from me, For now, O Ephraim, thou committest whoredom, and Israel is defiled. God knows all about it. These apostates thought they were kind of doing all this without God knowing, but, you know, he says it's not hid from me. The Bible says, The eyes of the Lord are upon the ways of man. He seeth all his goings. There is no darkness, no shadow of death, where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. And another scripture says, The eyes of the Lord are upon the ways of man. He seeth... All his, he beholding the good and the evil, the good and the bad. So he, he beholds both and all. We used to say, and it's still true, we, there's an all-seeing eye. And the Bible says in one of the Psalms that he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. So he's awake all the time. And he's looking out for our welfare. Their whoredoms had taken complete possession of them, and they had gone away from God. Let me read it again. Verse 3, I know Ephraim and Israel is not hid from me. For now, O Ephraim, thou committest whoredom, and Israel is defiled. Sometimes Ephraim is spoken of as the whole, and sometimes they're addressed separately. Verse 4 says, They will not frame their doings to turn unto their God, for the spirit of whoredoms is in the midst of them, for they have not known the Lord. Remember, is uh, Moses and Joshua. Moses delivered the children of Israel, and Joshua... Uh, 
led them over into Canaan's land. And he said that there was another generation that grew up that knew not the Lord. There was another generation that did not remember what God had done for them. And they departed terribly from God and began to worship idols of the nations round about them. And they had to suffer for it. And all through the Old Testament you'll find, and especially in the book of Judges, you'll find where when God's people departed from Him, they'd be under severe persecution by other nations. And God would send them. They'd cry to God. They'd repent. They'd cry to God for help. And He'd send a deliverer. He sent Gideon and Samson and all the others. And you could uh, go through the book of Judges. And every time that they got into trouble, they had realized that they couldn't get themselves out of it. And they'd call upon God and God would be merciful and hear their prayer. And just no sooner than He'd deliver them, they'd go right back into it. And it says in those days there was, listen, no king in Israel. And it says every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And when there's no king, when there's no leader, and God had been their king up to this time, and this was the days before the kings, and God had been their guide, and when there was no ruler, no guide, and they had forsaken God to be their king, well then every man was doing that which is right in his own eyes, which is usually wrong, and then they ended up in trouble. So it shows you how desperately and how terribly men need guidance from the Lord. And we need it just as, certainly we need it this day and hour, even though we have no earthly king, but we have a heavenly king. We need to look to God in prayer. And we've gotten all the means of grace in the New Testament to come boldly to the throne of grace, to find help in time of need. And so we'll be all right if we'll live for God. But if we stray away like Israel did and turn to our own ways, well, then we're going to have to suffer for it, as did they. All right, let's look at this. We read verse 4. They will not frame their doings to turn to the, unto their God. They will not do that. For the spirit of whoredoms is in the midst of them, and they have not known the Lord. Now, verse 5. Here's the terrible uh, sin. Pride was the leading sin of Ephraim. It says, And the pride of Israel doth testify to his face. Therefore shall Israel and Ephraim fall in their iniquity. Judah also shall fall with them. The, the two different, the twelve tribes, I mean the ten tribes, then the two tribes. So it says Judah's going to fall with them. So when you think of it, it was pride that was their downfall. The pride of Israel just testifies to his face. It was the leading sin. What causes pride and what pride brings about? Let me give you some things about pride. I'll just read a few scriptures. Have it over here in the back of my Bible. You know, I've got stuff. But anyway, when pride cometh, then cometh shame. But with the lowly is wisdom. That's Proverbs 11.2. Proverbs 10, uh, 13 verse 10 says, Only by pride cometh contention. But with the well advised is wisdom. Luke 18.11 and 12. Remember the Pharisee and the publican. The Pharisee says, I fast twice in a week and I give tithes of all that I possess. And the poor old publican smote upon his breast, would not lift up his eyes to heaven, but said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. One was filled with pride and the other was not. 1 Timothy 3, 6, Paul warns young preachers. He says, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. 
a young preacher, a lot of times folks go out and say, my, what a wonderful fellow you are, and that's the best sermon I ever heard preached. The next Sunday, well, what happens? He's loaded up with pride, and he preaches a sermon, and then they all frown on him. You see, don't let that get in the way. Be faithful to God and do the best you can at all times. You're not going to hit the uh, ball out of the park every day and make a home run, but you can be faithful and just keep on pitching and keep on batting, right? And that's what we all need to do. Esther 7 verse 10 says, So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he prepared for Mordecai. Remember, old Haman was lifted up with pride and he said, I'm going to get rid of this Jew here and this Mordecai. And uh, he built a gallows high to hang him on. And sure enough, things reversed. You know, sometimes if you roll a rock off the mountain, you might get uh, kicked off the mountain before it comes down to hit you on the head. That happens time and again. It says that it may hit upon your own pate or on your own head. Proverbs 21 verse 4 says, "In high look in a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked is sin. A high look in a proud heart. Uh, Proverbs 28-25, He that is of a proud heart striveth, stirreth up strife, but he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. Romans 2-19, and it says, And art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness. The Jews bragging about their uh, situation that they were above everyone else. Revelation 3.17 says, Because thou sayest, he's speaking to the church, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Well, to realize that what we have and what we are is by the grace of God. Proverbs 16, verse 18, Pride goeth before destruction and a haunted spirit before a fall. 1 Timothy 6, 3 and 4, If any man... Teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strife of words, whereof cometh envy and strife, railings, evil surmisings. You know, I admire this uh, fellow they interview, this uh, up there, that chief in uh, back east. He knows how to handle those guys, doesn't he? And they'll ask a question about ten times, and he said, I think I just answered that. Or it's not appropriate for me to divulge all the information that I have. Sometimes it's better to keep quiet about things. You don't have to tell everything, you know. Things that are necessary, speak. But things that are unnecessary, that will confuse the matter, give the enemy the advantage, will learn, learn how to handle it. And he, I admire him. He knows how to handle it. Uh, Psalm 131, verse 1, it says, Lord, my heart is not haunty, nor mine eyes lofty. Neither do I exercise myself in a great matter or in things too high for me. Sometimes it pays us to admit that we just don't know. That some things are above us. And then Psalm 101, verse 5 says, Whoso privily slandereth his neighbor... Him will I cut off. Him that hath an high look and a proud heart will not I suffer. And we have a, a lot more we could give you. A whole other section, but that will suffice to show uh, Ephraim's pride. Back in Hosea chapter 5, verse 5, it says, And the pride of Israel does testify to his face. Therefore shall Israel and Ephraim fall in their iniquity. That's going to cause their fall. 
Judah also shall fall with them. Evidently, they were not left out. Verse 6. They shall go with their flocks, with their herds, to seek the Lord. But they shall not find Him. He, he hath withdrawn Himself from them. Why is it they're going with their flocks and with their herds? They thought that their sacrifices would be uh, uh, sufficient to appease God of any of their wrongdoings. But just to offer sacrifice without changing your ways. Remember, there's other Scriptures where God says, I'm sick of your burnt offerings and your sacrifices and your high days and all of your Sabbath days and all of this stuff that they were doing without repentance. Now, He had established the sacrifices and He had established the holy days. But to come and just observe them in a hypocritical way, God was displeased with it and therefore He says, I'm sick of it. I'll have nothing to do with it. It'd be just like you and I coming to the Lord as Christians, children of God, and praying to Jesus, praying to our great high priest on high, and then going out and turning our back upon everything that He tells us to do. He would be sick of our prayers if we do not do it in sincerity. And Israel was not doing it in sincerity. And God doesn't... Uh, you know, He knows He knows how we feel about it. They could bring all the herds and flocks Remember back when uh, Samuel rebuked Saul? Saul said, I have all these sacrifices. The people wanted to save them and, and sacrifice them to God. And Samuel said to Saul, he says, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. He said, you can do all this sacrificing you want to do, but you didn't obey God. And that applies to you and I too if we can get the message. All right, let's notice something else. In verse uh, <coughs> 7, they have, well, notice that uh, verse 6 again. They shall go with their flocks and with their herds to seek the Lord, but they shall not find Him. That's not the way without them doing, doing what was right. He hath withdrawn Himself from them. He'd withdrawn Himself because He knew their insincerity in what they were doing. Now, look, verse 7. They have dealt treacherously uh, against the Lord, for they have begotten strange children... Now shall a month devour them with their portions. God, they had done everything God told them not to do. They had married strange wives and they had, done, they had gone straight away from God. Look at verse 8. Now verse 8 begins to announce the judgment. It says, Blow ye the cornet in Gibeah and the trumpet in Ramah. Cry aloud at Beth-Avon after thee, O Benjamin. What's he saying? The trumpet was to announce... This, this sound was to announce the judgment that was coming. The alarm. The alarm was being sounded. God sounds the alarm sometimes. He sounds the alarm for you and I to hear. And we need to hear it. I wonder how many of us have deaf ears to God's alarms. All over the nation, all over the world, there's voices go out from time to time that stir us up and sound the alarm of what our nation and our people are doing. And how many times are we tuned to hear, he says, cry aloud at Beth-Avon. Beth-Avon, we said earlier in our last chapter, they had turned to the house of vanity instead of the house of God. Bethel was the house of God, and Beth-Avon had become the house of vanity. It had become Beth-Avon, the house of vanity. And the trumpet, the cornet, the trumpet, the trumpet's what made the sound, the warning. And it says, cry aloud at Beth-Avon after the O Benjamin. Ephraim shall be desolate in the day of rebuke. God rebukes His people. He says, Among the tribes of Israel have I made known that which shall surely be. 
I wonder if we need to sound an alarm today about the way God's people are living. We have a lot of professing Christians, and I don't mean that any of us are sinlessly perfect. None are. But I do believe that we can listen to God's Word and learn to follow it and uh, do better than we're doing time and time again, and we're exhorted to do such. The Bible says, uh, nevertheless, I believe it's First Timothy, Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 possibly. You can check it out. Or 119, 2.19, I think. It says this. It says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are His. That's well and good. Then it says, And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Was it 2.19? Somebody get it? If it's not, well, you can look it up. But anyway, it says, First of all, the Lord knows those that are His. And then it says, And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ Depart from iniquity. So there's two sides to it, isn't there? The Lord knows we belong to Him, but He knows what we ought to do, too. All right, let's look at this now. Uh, Ephraim shall be desolate in the day of rebuke. Among the tribes of Israel I made known that which shall surely be. Or is it 1 Timothy 2.19? 2 2.19? Got it right. Okay. Uh, verse 10 now, I want you to notice. It says, The princes of Judah were like them that removed the bound. I want you to look at this. They were like them that removed the bound. Therefore, I will pour out my wrath upon them like water. Now, there was a curse upon those who uh, would remove landmarks or the bound in Israel. Let me give you two references. First of all, in Deuteronomy 19.14, it, it warns them not to do it. Deuteronomy 19, verse 14. I want you to look at this one first. Thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark, which they of old time have set in thine inheritance, which thou shalt inherit in the land that the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it. To do this, that's uh, Deuteronomy 19, verse 14. You have it? To do this was the equivalent to stealing. You know, in the old days when they had the... the uh, Run for land, Oklahoma run, they called it. They'd go out and they'd stake out a quarter section of land or half section or whatever they were entitled to. And they'd put down their stakes and their boundaries. That was theirs. Some fellow come along and see one over there and he takes it away. He was the same as stealing that man's property. And especially after it had been established and try to get another acre or two or ten out of the, the section of land there because it was uh, pretty much up for grabs. Well, you, you, not to remove your neighbor's, neighbor's landmark. The corner of your property, when it's laid out, is, it belongs to you. And you know, it showed the right back then to own property, possess property, and to claim it. That's one thing about our country. We're supposed to be able to possess our own properties. And I'm thankful we are. It's not all belongs to government. But on the other hand, uh, we have those that... Now, the curse was upon those that would remove it. Look at Deuteronomy 22, verse 17. Deuteronomy 22, verse 17. No, I got that wrong. 27, verse 17. I just couldn't read my own writing. Deuteronomy 27, verse 17. It, it says, Cursed be he that removeth his neighbor's landmark. And all the people shall say, Amen. They agreed to that. There was a curse upon the one that would do such a thing. 
too bad we don't follow the Bible nowadays because there's a lot of a lot of cheating in uh, property titles nowadays for one reason or other. And however they can make a claim or whatever, if they can get some lawyers to back them up, well, certain, certainly your rights will be taken away. But in the Bible, let, let's put this back. Now, turn it back to Hosea chapter 5, verse 10. We'll try to hurry along. But look at verse uh, 10 again. The princes of Judah were like them that remove the bound. Therefore, I will pour out my wrath upon them like water. The princes of Judah, instead of weeping over the calamity, rejoiced at the removal of these landmarks as a means of removing boundary lines and increasing their own estate, their own advantage. But let's give it a little twist as far as the, the landmarks of our Christianity. You know, it ought to be a curse upon people to remove the fundamentals of the faith and to twist those around. And Paul said that. He says, if any other man, if any man preach any other gospel than that I preach to you, let him be a curse. Say, though I are an angel from heaven, we ought to protect the landmarks of our Christian faith. And the Bible says that we should earnestly contend. Jude says that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. And we have folks today that say, well, it doesn't make any difference what you believe. We're all going the same place. I doubt that. We all have to go the same way because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And He says, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, and the end thereof are the ways of death. So we have to go through Christ's sacrifice and His shed blood if we're going to make it, according to what I read in the Bible. So let's go on with this quickly. Uh, back in... Hosea 5, verse 11. Ephraim is oppressed and broken in judgment because he willingly walked after the commandment, the false commandments of doing wrong. Look at verse 12. Therefore will I be unto Ephraim as a moth and to the house of Judah as rottenness. God says because of the way they've done, I'm going to be a... What, are, what is moth and rottenness? It's a destroying influences. God says I'm going to destroy them. Verse 13, when Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah saw his wound, then went Ephraim to the Assyrian and to and sent to King Jerob, yet could he not heal you nor cure you of your wound. Where did they turn when they, when they needed help? They turned to Assyria for help. They turned to man for help. And what are we encouraged to do when we need help? Turn to man, turn to the world, turn to God. In fact, if you read uh, Isaiah 31, let's see if we can find that. Isaiah 31, I believe it is, in verse 1, says, Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help. Woe to them. And stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong. But they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. So they, back here in Hosea 5, Notice, they had turned to the Assyrian, they had turned to this king, Jerob, for help. Jerob means he will contend. That's the meaning of his name. Verse 12 now. Uh, we read that verse 12. And we read verse 13. Look at verse 14. For I will be unto Ephraim as a lion and as a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, this is God speaking, will tear and go away. I will take away and none shall rescue like a lion would be the Lord, the Lord would be to Israel, because they had failed to turn to Him for help. 
Look in Isaiah 5, verse 29. Isaiah 5 and verse 29. Let's see if I can find it. It says this, Their roaring shall be like a lion. They shall roar like young lions. Yea, they shall roar and lay hold of the prey and shall carry it away safe and none shall deliver. This was the opposition that would come against His people in the book of Isaiah. Much is, is spoken of here in the book of Hosea. Look at Hosea chapter 5, verse 14. I, even I, God says, I'm the one that's going to tear away. I will take away and none shall rescue him. Now let's... Look at the next verse. I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face in their affliction will they seek me early. God says, I'm going to go back to my place, give them time to acknowledge their need. This last verse is a wider meaning than the past judgment upon Israel that they had suffered their affliction, but it has to do with the future. I think we'll... I'll let that conclude for tonight, but we want to continue with our thought when we come to the sixth chapter, verses one through three, and we'll see some more things about uh, the connection that we just talked about. Thank you for your patience and your kind attention. Let's stand together, if you will, be dismissed in prayer.